The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org. Welcome, Brandon Shank, now. This is Brandon Shank. His middle name is Clifford like the dog. This is how he preaches. Hagerstown this morning. I've been from one place to the other. This message should be getting pretty good by now. Uh, but listen, I, I, I am so honored to be with you guys. Uh, a couple months ago when Patrick had asked me to be a part of this series, uh, I was thinking, man, there's nothing like coming back to Hub City. You know, uh, it's just, it's an amazing, amazing adventure for all of us. In fact, yesterday, I got family that lives here. And, uh, we were visiting some of them over the other side of Hagerstown. And my son, I have my six-year-old with me. I got four boys, a six-year-old Caden, four-year-old Ryland, two-year-old Makai, and three-month-old Asher. Uh, Yeah. So we left with two, and now we got four. So it's true, Virginia is for lovers. But uh, but we're done. So we uh, we were driving to some family, and my six-year-old's with me, Caden, and he was like, Dad, what's that smell? I said, brother, that's a farm. I said, you city kids, man. We got to get you guys to Hagerstown. We got to get you engulfed in the, 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 the Shank dynasty that, that lives up here. But we're excited, man. And I want to take a minute before I start. And just I want to thank you. You all have been uh, overwhelmingly supportive of everything we've touched in LifeHouse Virginia Beach. Uh, many of you are there. Monthly, we see visitors from Hagerstown. Uh, and I wouldn't say it's your guests. I would say many of you say, man, this feels like home. It's because it is. Uh, it's the same church, but a different preacher. Uh, and I, I'm just so honored to have you guys. It means a lot to our team and our staff. And last year in September, we celebrated our two years. We're about ready to celebrate our third year. I know it's, it's gone quick, but uh, so we started last year. We, got, we started our second service. And we also added a bus route. So we have two bus routes that go into some of the communities in the oceanfront and bring in kids and families. Uh, and it's a huge passion of ours. And uh, today we actually have water baptisms in Virginia Beach. Uh, and uh, it's just, it's amazing to see what God's been doing. Uh, you know, you think that when you pastor a church, you'd feel a lot different when everything starts to go well. But really, you just realize how much you didn't have to do with it and how much it was the people that I'm looking at. I mean, y'all gave to it. You all, uh, when I was on staff here at LifeHouse, you, you poured into my life. You loved me and my family well. Um, and then every time I come back, I feel like I'm a rock star. You guys make me feel like I'm the most important person in the world. Uh, and as a pastor, I can't tell you how refreshing that is. Uh, our church does the same. But I just, I just want to thank you so much from the bottom of my heart for all that you guys did. And uh, 
for the way that you continue to support Lifehouse Virginia Beach. We feel it, man. We feel it. And God's rocking that city. And actually this week, or I think it was our came out a week or two ago in Time Magazine, the number one place in the nation that millennials are moving is Virginia Beach. And so the timing has been perfect for what God's doing uh, in that church and, and uh, through our lives. But really, uh, you guys are an extension, so I want you to know. And some of you uh, helped plant that church. Can you all make some noise for those in this room that helped plant Lifehouse Virginia Beach? Come on. You can do better than that. Yeah. Some of y'all helped plant that church, and, uh, and, and it's just so great to see each and every one of you. But I'm just grateful that Hagerstown is a part of my story. You know, I'm just so grateful that you're a part of, of my story. And uh, if we take it a little broader, every one of us has a story, right? You're living something. There's a story that goes with your name. There's a story that goes with, with who you are. In fact, I would say there's probably three different groups of people in this room. Say there's a group that uh, you're wandering. And none of these are bad. These are just groups. Find one. You'll fit. I promise one is you're wandering. You're kind of thinking, God, where, where, what's next for me? Or what does my story look like? Or kind of where are you leading me? And your heart's not wrong. You're not divisive in it. You're just really trying to figure it all out and not sure that you have that direction. There's another group of you that you're living in the name of Jesus, but yet you're living your life and just putting his name on it. And your heart's not bad. You're just kind of maybe a little bit of control freak. And, and you're saying, man, this is what God's doing. It's like, is he really doing it? It's again, your heart's, your heart's not bad. And then there's the, the last group that you're doing big things. Your, your, your relationships are ending because you know they're not healthy. Maybe there's financial decisions you're making, job decisions that you're making, transitions that you're making in your own life because you know that God's calling you to something great. And there's big deals going on all around you, and you pray with the prayer of, oh, God, I hope this is you. Y'all been there? All right, three of you, the rest of y'all are lying. But you get to that point where you're like, man, is this you? The reality is none of those situations or, or none of those alternatives, they're not bad. None of those are wrong. But we were created for something great. And today's message, it's simply titled, uh, and, it, and it's, it's really a concept when Patrick asked me to preach to y'all and, and to bring a message to y'all. This is like the first thing that hit me. It wasn't even like I had, it wasn't one of those moments I had to deeply pray for months. Uh, it was very clear. And it's simply your story for God's glory. And I know it sounds almost cliche, like these words rhyme, but the reality of it is, when you think about why you exist and you live for God, there really shouldn't be much of you involved in that. Because God thinks so much about you, you don't need to think about you. He cares so much for you, you don't need to care for yourself. You don't need to think about those things. And I'm going to read a story to you that I'm going to help illustrate and hopefully illustrate this to you. And, uh, and it comes across in a way that you can really chew on it. It's John chapter 11. And this is a story about Lazarus. And a lot of you may be familiar with the story. It's a story in the New Testament, the book of John, where Lazarus was raised from the dead. And Jesus was in a time of his ministry where a lot of people were following him, but there was a lot of tension. People were threatening to kill Jesus. He had just come in from a festival of dedication, which was uh, in Jerusalem. And uh, it, it was during the wintertime, usually end of November, beginning of December. And this festival kind of, uh, he got, it was a pretty big tension that took place. And they kind of chased him out of the city and they were going to stone him. And so nothing really seems uh, kosher <laughs> for Jesus at this moment. It, a lot of tension. And so he goes away, and he's in a place where he's going to go where this miracle happens. It's a place called Bethany. It's the east side of the Jordan River where John the Baptist would have done a majority of his ministry, and it overlooks kind of the, uh, it's, it's the top of Mount of Olive kind of uh, geographically. And so Jesus kind of goes away, and people come to him. They're telling him, listen, your friend is sick. And so if you would, we're going to read John chapter 11. Would you read verse 1? It said, a man named Lazarus was sick, and he lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick, and so the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. 
But when Jesus had heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness, it won't end in death. No, no, it happened for the glory of God, so the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. And finally he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Now I want you to stop for a minute. I want you to think about this. It says that Jesus stayed, so he knew his friend was sick. This wasn't just somebody that was an acquaintance. Lazarus was a close friend of Jesus, and we know that Jesus heard that he was sick, and Jesus could do miracles, right? Jesus could heal him. He didn't need to raise him from the dead. He could heal Lazarus. And it says that Jesus loved Mary, and he loved Martha, and he loved Lazarus. And so when you're reading this, and you think, well, Jesus loves Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, but then he stayed, is this something that's hard for you to comprehend when you think about it? If Jesus loves them so much, then why is he staying whenever his friend is sick and he can heal him? Maybe in your life you're thinking, man, God, why are you delaying the inevitable? Why are you delaying things that you could be doing in my life to help me? Whenever you need to be sitting here with me, you're sitting over there and you're not doing anything in my story that could change my life. What's wrong with you, God? It's kind of that thing of, uh, and for us, we go to make our own decisions because if Satan can't slow you down, he'll speed you up. And you begin to make your decisions and you blame God for the bad decisions you made because he wasn't showing up. But it wasn't that he wasn't showing up. It's that you were impatient. Saying, what's the point? I'm glad you asked. This is the point. This is why Jesus did what he did, because the delays in your story are evidence of God's involvement. That's why they exist. God is at work in your life, and as humans, we don't know what we think we know. We can't predict and do the things we think we can do. And so it says Jesus loved Lazarus, he loved Martha, he loved Mary, but he did nothing. He loved these people, and he did nothing. And maybe in your life you feel like, man, man, God, if you love me, would you do something significant? Would you work? And he's like, I have been working. If you get your eyes off of you and you look to me, you'll know that your strength is coming from something much greater than yourself. I'm the king of kings. I'm the Lord of lords. I'm Jehovah Jireh, Elohim. I was here before. I'll be here at the end. And in case you don't know this, I am undefeated. I'm the king of kings. It says that he loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And I think if nothing else this morning, some of you need to realize that you're not a special case. You are loved just like these were. You haven't done anything to delete God's hand in your life. Skip down to verse 14. And so he tells his disciples, he says, let's go back. Lazarus is dead, verse 15. For your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now, you'll really believe. Come, let's go see him. Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go too and die with Jesus. How many of y'all have friends like that? You're like, shut up, Thomas. Stop being such a punk. You'll die with Jesus. You done lost your God-forsaken mind, man. You're going to talk like that. This is the king of kings, right? Let's go too and die with Jesus. You have those friends. You're like, man, God's really been speaking to me. Oh, honey, God, don't talk like that anymore. But that's cute. You keep being religious. It's like, man, I am religious, and I got a king that's empowered me to do the things that men aren't supposed to be able to do. I'm, I'm empowered with the supernatural. I'm empowered with the passion and a push and, and, and this desire to do things that man can't explain because then they'll look to God and say, well, he must be real. But we all have those Lazarus in our, those Lazarus in our life that God's going to call us to do something crazy, but then you have those Thomas that kind of doubt. In verse 17, it says, when, when Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in the grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles. A few miles, it's actually 1.7 miles down the road from Jerusalem. And many of the people had come to console Mary and Martha in their loss. You say, well, what's the point of all this? This is the point. In the Jewish customs, they, they bury people the day they're dead. 
They don't wait around. And then they believe that the spirit lingers for three days. So after you're buried, the day you die, they believe the spirit lingers for three days. And so Jesus is trying to show them. And then, oh, before I get onto that, there's a, a mourning period of seven days. So all of the people, all their friends would be there hanging out, eating potato salad, mourning Lazarus, right? It would be that seven-day period. And so Jesus, being Jesus, waits four days. Lazarus is dead. The man is going to be smelling awful in this tomb, and the spirit would no longer linger. So he's just making sure that even in their own religious thought that Lazarus is dead beyond dead and his spirit is gone. So we keep reading. Verse 32. It says, When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping, he saw other people wailing with her. A deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply Trouble. Now, this, the original language that the New Testament was written in is called Greek. And in the Greek, the, ang- the word for anger is actually embrimaomai. And it means to warn or to, st- to sternly warn. Now, if you're a parent, there's a difference between warning your child and sternly warning. If you warn them, you're saying don't do that. If you sternly warn them, don't do that. I'm going to whoop that tail. Right? Big difference because you, you know that there's danger associated if they do what you're telling them not to do. If I tell my kid, don't play with that snake, even though I hate snakes, it's a black snake, it's not poisonous, I don't care, they're all Satan. Right? That's one thing. But if I say, don't run in the road, because now I know he can die. Does this make sense to you? And so when you, when you have that stern, it's almost like you're going to cost yourself your life if you don't listen to what I'm trying to tell you. And so Jesus knew they needed to understand who he was. They need to understand this power. And so he goes on, he says, where have you put him? He's asking about Lazarus. He asked them, they told him, Lord, come and see. And then listen to this. What does it say? It says, Jesus, what's that word? Wept. Wait, Jesus wept. This is, Jesus sounds like he's got some significant psychological issues in this story, right? He waits for four days whenever he was only 1.7 miles away from where the miracle took place, right? He waits. Not one day. Not two days. Not three days. Spirit's gone now. Four days. And then he goes to the tomb. Are y'all with me? And then these people are doubting him. He gets to the tomb and he cries. He knows Lazarus is going to be raised from the dead. Why in the world is Jesus going to cry for something he's about to do? I'll tell you why. Because Jesus knows you, and Jesus knows me, and he cares deeply about what we feel. And Jesus wept because he hurts when we hurt. Jesus was weeping because he was sad Lazarus was dead, and he knew he was going to be raised from, from the dead. But he saw Mary and Martha, and he just told us earlier in John that Jesus loved these people. John takes time out of the, the Holy Scriptures and out of his book to add a line about how Jesus loved people, about how he loved these individuals. And so what happens? Jesus gets to the tomb, and it says he weeps, and he's weeping because he deeply loves these people, and he hurts when we hurt. He knows your pain, and he feels your pain, and it bothers him whenever you have this deep pain in your life, and we think that he's this old madman with this stick that beats us when we do something stupid and not this loving father. Listen, I'm a dad of four boys, and a lot of people will say to me, do you wish you had a girl? No, I don't want no girl. Why? Because I am owned completely by my four boys. I can't imagine what it's like to have a girl. My, my six-year-old, I don't know what somebody just said, but my six-year-old, 
this morning, I brought him with me, so he's, he's in the bed, and I said, hey, Katie, you know, the other, the other boys aren't here, so you have to get love for all of them. And so I'm like, mm, 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 like holding him in the bed and kissing him on his cheeks and just biting on him. He's like, daddy, daddy, you know? And my two-year-old will run in the middle of the, in the morning. He'll run in. Hey, daddy. I'm like, hey, pork chop. That's the pork chop that you all heard about on the video. My two-year-old's name's Makai. Say, hey, pork chop. And he'll jump in the bed. And he got that little stinky breath. And I just, I'm, 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 I kiss all over him. I try to bite his entire cheek off. I try to get the whole thing in my mouth. Just suck on it. Parents, you know what I'm talking about. The bigger the cheeks, the more you love them. Just try to love on this little guy. And my kid, Caden's old enough now. He's six. And, and I'll pick him up. And I'll pick him up to where his little feet can't touch the ground. And I'll start kissing him all over his face and his neck and just swinging him and just kissing on him because he can't do nothing about it. And I'm just, daddy love you, bubby. Daddy love his boo-boo. Daddy love, you know? I love my kids. Oh, I love loving all my children. I love loving all my kids. And if I love my kids like that, and I'm a human being with a lot of flaws, I do a lot of things wrong. What do you think God treats us like as his kids? I'll tell you this, when I have to discipline my children, I understand what it means it hurts the parents because I hate taking something from my child that I know really hurts them. I hate the thought of not letting my kid go on a trip or God forsaken Chuck E. Cheese. Don't take Chuck E. Cheese. You take Chuck E. Cheese, the house will burn down, the cars will get set to fire, my wife and I will never be found. You know what I'm saying? But my point is this, it, it hurts me because I'm like, man, it's an opportunity he wasted because he just couldn't get it right. But if I don't discipline him now, I'm trying to create four men that are going to be men of God. They're going to be men of God to their, to their wives and, and men of God to their, to their, to their children. They're going to be men of God who walk with an authority in this world and that do the things God's called them to do, whatever vocation that he calls them to. They're going to be men of God. And in order to build men of God, I've got to do discipline. And I will weep with them because it breaks my heart whenever I have to watch them go through something that I know hurts. And then you better believe I kiss all over them little suckers like no tomorrow. Every time I get a chance, I'm kissing on one of them. What if you just let God pick you up and just give you kisses sometimes? You ever feel like maybe God delights in you like that? Because I think a lot of us, we don't think God delights in us like that. I think oftentimes we think that he's kind of the one that's like, shouldn't have done it, bro. I told you, you're an idiot. No, it was a good run, man. I knew you. Listen, just like, you, just like your family always told you or just like you, you've always read in the books, you're, you're an absolute idiot, but I told you so, but I've got something great for everybody else but you, okay? I'm still God, but we'll see each other in heaven. You'll just be in the, the bad part of heaven. You're like, there's no bad part. I get it. You guys get my point, right? You understand what I'm trying to tell you? You don't think that you are allowed to be loved by God the way he describes it for everybody else around you. It's because the, what you think of yourself is not what God thinks of you. And don't take credit from the almighty, most holy creator and the greatness that he is because you don't think much of yourself. That is a slam on his creation. He took time out of who he was and who he is to create every molecular and DNA strand that makes you you because he's passionate about his kids. He didn't do that to waste time. He did it because he's a king that's a great king that's in love with his kids that sometimes wants to grab you up. No, all the time. Wants to grab you up and swing you where your feet can't touch and you have no control and just all over his kids because he loves you and he made you to do do something spectacular, and he wants to do something in you that's a reflection of him. If you change the way you view God, your life will change. It'll change. You say, bro, you just don't understand where I've been. I don't really care where you've been. Everybody's got a story, and you're not a special case. You just don't know. Stop crying about it. I can't help you. He can. I can't forgive you. I can't make those pains go away. I can't change the fact that you've done things that you really regret. I can't. 
Don't keep telling everybody about how hard and how awful it is. Go to him. Stop giving credit to the enemy where he ain't have nothing to give credit for. You give credit to God saying, but I'm still here. I'm still standing, which shows that God's been trying to love and kiss on me for a long time. That preacher said he don't care about me. No, I didn't say I don't care about you. I'm saying stop making your life about your struggles and start making it about a king who is victorious in every struggle. We celebrate darkness too much in church, man. We always say, oh, I've had a good week, but I've been bothered this week. No, I've had a great week. I'm still standing. I got breath in my lungs, and there's a story that God's writing through my life, and he ain't done because that end hasn't been closed, and I'm still standing like a tree that's planted by a stream of living water. I am serving the great. I am, and I am still standing. (laughs) When does that become our story? I'll tell you when it becomes your story. When you let Jesus pick you up and give you kisses and your feet aren't touching the ground. When that control has changed a little bit. Does this make sense to y'all? Let him love you. And in verse 36, it says, the people who were standing nearby, they said, see how much he loved him? Because they see Jesus crying. But some said, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? And Jesus was still angry. This means, again, they keep ticking him off. He was angry as he arrived at the tomb, a cave with a stone rolled across its entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus told them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested. Oh, my goodness. Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Do you think Lazarus was loving this idea? I'm going to die. I'm going to be resurrected. I'm going to smell like an armpit in front of all my friends. This is going to be awesome. No. But Lazarus is saying, my story ain't for my glory. None of us want to die and be resurrected. I don't care who, how, how spiritual you think you are. Nobody wants to do that. And maybe God's not asking that of you, but I'm telling you, if he is and people come to know Christ, well, why wouldn't that be okay? He says, the smell is going to be terrible. And Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? You say, what's the point, Brandon? Well, I'm glad you asked again. This is what the point is. You weren't created to write your story. You were created to live your story. God's not asking you to figure out all the details of the things that surround your life. He's asking you just to be obedient and to submit to him and do the things he's called you to do. In John chapter 11, verse 41, it says, so they rolled the stone aside. And then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, I thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. Don't you love that piece of intimacy that scripture puts in? He doesn't just, he takes a moment and stops and gives a word to God. You always hear me. He doesn't talk about the people. He's not talking about Lazarus. He's not talking about all the, the hate coming at him. He says, oh, I'm going to pray. He says, Father, thank you for hearing me. Then he stops. You always hear me. Let me give a little shout to my God in the middle of this miracle. But I said it loud for the sake of all these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. And then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a head cloth. And Jesus told him, unwrap him and let him go. If you want those around you to follow Jesus, then you had better be willing to use your life in a way that God can take complete control and do the supernatural. Say, what's the end result? What's the after effect? So what it says in verse 45, it says, many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen. But some went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. And then the leading priests and the Pharisees called the high council together. What are we going to do? They asked each other. This man certainly performs many miraculous signs. If we allow him to go on like this, soon everyone will believe in him. If you don't hear anything else I'm saying, I want you to hear this. When you allow God to write your story, his existence is undeniable, and you're unstoppable. About a month ago, I was driving home to Virginia Beach from Hagerstown, and God spoke to me 
and he said, I want you to sell your house. Now, we bought our house two years ago. We live in the oceanfront. We love it. We love where our house is at. We love the house itself. I say, okay, is there any reason or any particular thing, or do you want to give me some more info? And in godly fashion, he just didn't say anything. I said, sweet. So I got home. I said, hey, babe, and my wife knows how I work. She knows how God works, and she's, uh, she's, uh, she's with it. So I was like, hey, babe, um, God told me to sell our house. She says, okay, did he tell you where we're going? I said, what do you think? <laughs> she said, all right. So we took about a week, week and a half, got everything ready. Called my realtor, had it put online. She said, well, what are we going to do if, if we sell the house? I said, you know what? It wasn't my job. It's not my idea to sell it. It ain't going to be my job to find us a place to live. That's on him. You can talk to him about it. And if you, you're mad at him. I don't know either. Ain't my fault. I ain't got time for all this mess. I got four kids in a church and I ain't got time for all this. I woke up about a week and a half later on a Wednesday morning. God spoke to me so clearly about this particular house. We, don't, we haven't gone and seen any houses or anything like that. And about a particular house. And he spoke to me and said, this is the house you are to buy. I said, okay. So I called my realtor on Wednesday. I said, hey, man, we need to go look at this house. He said, all right. Thursday morning, went and looked at it. Had a contract on it Thursday afternoon. By Saturday, we were good. So the problem is I have two houses right now, and one is still for sale. And the reason I tell you the story is this. I can tell you stories and stories and stories about times in my life that Lazarus was raised from the dead. But I want to share one with you where he's still in the tomb right now. There's a house that I have for sale. And then there's a house that I've already bought. And I'm not really sure what God's up to, but I know he said, I'm going to expand your territory. He's putting us in the community where actually where our church is at. We started out in the community where we do all of our bus routes. And because we're in that community, it enabled the buses to get in there and get all these kids. But now our youth ministry is in that community, our kids ministry is in that community. And so God's calling us to a different community. And funny enough, it's the community where our church is actually at. It's about 15 minutes away. Well, God, whatever. I didn't come down to Virginia Beach and plant a successful church. I came down to Virginia Beach and I allowed you to use my voice as yours and my hands as yours and my feet as yours. But this isn't Brandon Shank. This is Jesus Christ. This is people that have paid a price long before I got here and I'll pay one long after I leave. You are the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You are Elohim, the great I am. And I surrender all that I have because I've realized that I have not much to offer. And I haven't really been stressed about it because quite frankly, it isn't my problem. It's his. It ain't my house. It wasn't my house to begin with. He bought it for me, and he's going to sell it for me, and he's going to get me this new one, and it looks like I'm going to have to do a little painting, which I hate painting, but it is what it is. It's just like, just like, just like somebody guys doing something crazy in their life to complain about painting, isn't it? Oh, man. You know, my kids, they love stories. My boys love stories, and they love it whenever I'll take time at the end of the night and say, hey, guys, we're going to read some stories before bedtime, right? And I always give them one book each, and the only one I'll give more than that is my two-year-old, Makai. I'll read him a book, and he'll be, one more book. I'll say, no, please, okay, one more, one more. We'll get done that. One more book. No, buddy, please. Oh, you got it. What do you want? He's my favorite. <laughs> so I'll be sitting down with my kids, and I'll start the book, and you know, they love, they love books, and start the book and we'll start reading. They like the, they like the beginning because it's exciting. Like we're going on a journey, right? And I'll start reading through it and then we'll get to the middle. And they love the middle because now everything's, there's anticipation. I'll look over and their eyes are all glazed over. Like you can see their little imaginations. They've completely stepped out of the room and now they're just in their own world of imagination as I'm reading this book. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And then when you get towards the end, they start to get a little fidgety because they're like, well, can we get one more book, dad? Can we get one more book? Come on, dad. Like, no, I know push over. You ain't get no more books. I don't do that for any of my kids except for pork chop. So I get to the end, and I was like, the 
end. And you see their faces smile. They light up. They're so excited. They just went on this adventure. There's a book they love. It's, it's actually my favorite. It's called Little Blue Truck. Now, some of you parents may recognize this one. I've read it so many times I memorized it. In fact, it's Little Blue Truck went down the road. Beep said blue to a big green toad. The toad said croak and winked an eye when Little Blue Truck went rolling by. Little Blue Truck's about this little blue truck that goes through a farm, and then there's this big bully dump truck, and he comes through, and he gets stuck in the mud, and he needs help. And so who helps him? Little Blue Truck. Pushes the big dump truck out of all the muck and the mire. And then all the farm animals come and help Little Blue Truck to push the big dump truck. And at the very end, the dump truck goes on his way, and the Little Blue Truck's driving down the road with all the farm animals, and they look so happy, and the toad is driving. I mean, does it get any better than that? But this is the point. I look forward to that story because it's fun and my boys love it. But I think for you, you need to pause this morning and realize that there, there's an end to your story and, and it hasn't, hasn't been read. There's a beginning and there's a middle, but your book isn't closed. And in fact, the end for us is actually the best part of the story because we get to be with Jesus. And I know we can say that, but the reality of really getting to spend the rest of eternity with a God that has never done anything but love you. That's the end. That's the thing we fear the most is what I just described. And some of you today, you're sitting in here and there's this beginning in this middle and you're just struggling because you've tried to close this God forsaken book and you just can't seem to keep that thing closed. It's because God is saying, no, you're my kid, man. I'm not letting you close that book. I spent time creating you because I know what's inside of you. And the reason that you're struggling so much with all the darkness in your life isn't just because it's darkness. It's because I'm fighting for you and I will not let you close this book. Or if you know God and you've been searching for him and you've been growing in him, he's saying, no, I will not let you stop here. There's more in you. I know what I've created. You don't go to a, um, the maker of a GMC to find out parts for a BMW. He's saying, no, I created this specific model. I know what's best for it. I know what's best for marriage. I know what's best for relationship. I know what's best for you as a person. I know how I designed you to prosper. And all the world and things around you may not know, I'm telling you, you know, because you know me. And today it's time for some of us to step up and say, I'm willing to let God take this story. I'm sick of trying to write this and just put his name on it. For some of you, maybe you've never really surrendered to God and let him have your story. You never let him have your complete story. Parts, but never all of it. And maybe, maybe now is a great time for that. Let me, let me rephrase that. Now is a phenomenal time for that. You need to realize that you are crafted and created by the creator of the universe that is madly in love with you. Do you sense that? You're not a screw up, you're not a mess up, you weren't somebody that just had it bad, you are somebody that God created for spectacular things that man can't explain. And for you to think any less is to devalue what the king has put into you. Will you bow your heads with me this morning? If you know Jesus, with your head bowed and your eye closed, I want you just to tell him you love him and thank him. In your own words, just right now, if you know Jesus Christ. For some of you today, you're saying, Brandon, I, I don't know Jesus, man. I, I want to know Jesus. I'm going to give you a, a moment here. In a second, I'm going to give you an opportunity to, to make that decision. But I, 
I just want to tell you this. I know that there may be somebody sitting here this morning and you're saying, Brandon, I, I just feel like my heart's beating out of my chest or I feel like this, this, this empowerment, like there's something different here. And I'm telling you, that's the, I'm telling you, that's the Holy Spirit. That's the King of Kings telling you, man, I loved you. I've never stopped loving you. I've always been there from every needle in your arm, from every time you got in the wrong vehicle, from every marriage that went behind you. I've never left you and I never will because I'm your king, I'm your dad, and I'm a good dad. And I, I am passionate about you this morning and I will never leave you. I don't care if you leave me or not. I will never leave you. I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. With every head bowed and every eye closed, on the count of three, if that's you today, I want you to lift your hand and we're going to hand you a card that says raise to life. You hold on to it. We'll give you further direction. But if that's you today and you're saying, Brandon, I'm ready to make a decision for Jesus Christ. I'm ready to come to know him. I'm ready to say today is the day and I'm going to turn it around today. One. Three, just put your hand up and we're going to bring a card to you. Wherever you're at in the room, just put your hand up. We're going to bring them to you. You're saying, today's that day, Brian. I'm going to do this. I want to surrender my life to God. I want to do something different. And then I want everybody in this room, would you just repeat this prayer after me right now? Would you just say, dear Jesus, I surrender my life. I give you all that I am. I believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again, and I surrender in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church, located in Hagerstown, Maryland. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.